night long, Suki worked on the ancient loom. He finished his bowl of flies and started off on his adventure. He used to say, I just can't get enough watermelon. I could eat as much watermelon as I got. We love stories! It's time for the Appleseed. Some time just about every day, filled with stories for you and your family. I'm Sam Payne, your host. What a pleasure it is to have you with us today. In fact, it's such a pleasure every time that you tune in and make us a part of your day and make storytelling a part of what you and your loved ones share, whether it's the stories that you hear on the show or memories prompted by those tales. It's going to be a great hour today. We're going to bring you Joel Ben Izzy's story, Brian Who Loves Watermelon. Brian Who Loves Watermelon. Watermelon is from a collection of stories called How I Learned to Love Liver. So, liver, watermelon. We're going to hear a story from Colton Preet called Canadian Love and a story from Dan Kedding, the Chicago area storyteller and musician, a story called The Gypsy Wagon. And we're even going to hear a little something called Winston and the Wide Mouth Frog from Glenda Bonin. But we're going to begin with a story called Suki. Now, this is Lenny Del Siemens telling the story. And it's in an hour of stories about finding things, finding love, finding memories, finding friendship. You know, the quest to find stuff, stuff we've lost or stuff we've longed for, is at the heart of so many great stories. And in this story, again, called Suki by Lini Del Siemens, an old couple filled at first with kindness and then with greed interacts with, uh, well, a magic crane, right? The magic crane is a frequent uh, image in Japanese folk tales. And here's Lenny Del Siemens again with this tale, and she's accompanied by Gideon Freudman, the cello player. This is one of those wonderful Lenny Del Siemens and Gideon Freudman collaborations from a collection called Cello Tales. Here on the Appleseed, the story is Suki. <laughs> long, long time ago, in northern Japan, in a lovely place called Hokkaido, there lived a good man named Ito and a good woman named Umi. Ito and Umi lived happily together in their tiny house tucked deep in the mountains. They were far into their golden years of life, having lived well and having loved each other for many years. But they were lonely at times because they had no children of their own and there was no one else around to keep them company and share in their joys. Well, one winter's morning, Ito was out in the forest collecting wood for the fire. When he heard a strange noise, he searched around the bushes and behind the small trees until finally he saw a large white bird with a very long neck. Oh, it was a beautiful crane, which was tangled in the branches of a thorn bush, unable to free itself. Ito took a few steps toward the crane, but when the crane saw the old man, it became frightened and, and struggled even harder to get away as the sharp thorns on the branches held it back even more. Ito slowly walked over to the crane and said, Gentle bird, do not be frightened. I will not harm you. Be still, still, and I will will set you free. Then Ito 
carefully untangled the branches caught around the crane's legs and helped it up on its feet. The large bird looked deep into Ito's eyes for a long moment, then spread its huge wings and flew off into the clear morning sky. Ito held his breath as he watched this graceful, majestic bird soar through the white winter landscape. Well, that evening, a storm came up. As the brisk winter wind howled, and more snow fell all around, an unexpected knock came to the door of the old couple's house. When they opened the door, there stood a beautiful young woman, shivering and shaking as the blizzard blew all around her. The young woman looked at the old couple and said, Please, I have no family or friends and nowhere else to go. If you let me stay with you, I promise to work very hard for you. At first, Ito and Umi didn't know what to say, but they quickly took pity on the poor girl and ushered her inside their warm house and offered her their hospitality. Well, as the next few days passed, the old couple found themselves happy to have someone so young and full of life living under their roof. They hadn't realized how lonely they had been all those years in the mountains. And so, the three of them lived together in peace and contentment. And before long, the old couple began to think of the young woman as their own daughter. They called her Suki. One day, while Umi was in the pantry, she discovered, oh, to her dismay, that there was no more food left in the house. Even their emergency food supply had dwindled because, you see, the winter that year had been unusually harsh. Suki could see that Ito and Umi were quite worried and didn't know what to do. So Suki said to the old couple, Do not worry. I will weave some cloth that you can sell down in the valley. With the yen you receive from the sale of the cloth, you can buy food. But you must promise me one thing. You must not look inside the room while I am weaving. Now Ito and Umi thought this was a rather strange request, but nonetheless, they promised not to look inside the room while Suki was weaving. So that evening, the young girl went into the weaving room and began her work. Clack, 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 went the ancient loom. Suki wove all night long and well into the early hours of morning. Click, 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 click. And at last, she came out of the room. She was very, very tired. 
Then Suki handed the old couple a large bundle of the most beautiful cloth they had ever seen. Ito and Umi were amazed. This cloth, oh, it was so handsome and soft. Umi quickly put the exhausted girl to bed and took good care of her, while Ito bundled up the cloth and carefully carried it down into the valley. There, he was able to sell it for a considerable sum of money. He used the yen to buy food for the three of them. <laughs> and so, for a while, their lives were full and happy. Finally, the time came when the snows should have melted and spring should have begun. But the snowflakes still fell, and the cold winds howled all around their tiny house. Eventually, the little family ran out of food again. As before, Suki realized that they would all starve if she didn't do something to help. So once again, after making the old couple promise that they wouldn't look in on her, Suki went into the weaving room to make more cloth. All night long, Suki worked on the ancient loom. Clack, 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 went the loom. The sound of the loom echoed throughout the quiet house. But shortly before dawn, Umi <gasps> awoke with a start. She could still hear the sound of the old loom, but she also heard something else. <laughs> yes, someone was crying. Umi turned to her husband and woke him up. Then the two of them hurried to the door of the weaving room to listen. Umi placed her hand on the doorknob, but Ito stopped her. No, Umi, we made a promise not to look in. But the crying continued. <laughs> and they were so worried about Suki because they loved her as if she were their own daughter. So Umi slipped open the door just a crack and they peeked in. What they saw left them speechless. There, in the middle of the room, was a large white crane plucking out its own feathers and weaving those feathers into a beautiful piece of cloth. And the crane was crying. The old couple threw open the door and burst into the room. As soon as the crane saw them, it stood up and... changed into the young woman known as Suki. Ito started to explain. We are so sorry, but we were worried about you, so we... But Suki stopped him and gently said, I understand. I am the crane that you saved. 
and I came to help you because you were so kind to me. I have made more cloth for you to buy food. But now that you have seen my true form, I can no longer stay with you. Sayonara. Just then, the sun was rising in radiant brilliance up over the mountains. The young woman stepped out into the fresh morning air and... changed back into a crane. She looked at the old couple for a long, loving moment, then spread her huge wings and flew off into the dawn. And so, once again, Ito and Umi were alone. Ah, oh, but they were no longer lonely, for they had been blessed with their loving memories of a beautiful, magical crane they called Suki. The story was Suki, told by Lini del Siemens and accompanied by Gideon Freudman, the cellist, and decidedly plugged in, that performance was, right? It's from a collection called Cello Tales, a bunch of collaborations between the storyteller and the musician. We've played a few of those on the show before, and you can find all of the things that we've played on the show before in looking at more than a thousand episodes of The Appleseed in our archive at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. You can also Google The Appleseed Podcast for ways to connect with us in the podcast podcast world, you can subscribe for something new just about every day here on uh, The Appleseed. There's a lot more coming up. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with a story from Glenda Bonin. It's a story called Winston and the Wide Mouth Frog. And before we go, we want to remind you that you can uh, email us. Uh, send us uh, your thoughts about the show, and you can send us uh, memories and stories of your own at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, I'm Sam Payne. See you in a minute. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, we told a story called Suki, or rather, we had Lini del Siemens tell it, accompanied by the cellist Gideon Freudman. And we've got a lot more coming up. Dan Kedding with a story called The Gypsy Wagon, a little Joel Ben Izzy with a story called Brian Who Loves Watermelon, something you'll enjoy called Canadian Love by Colton Preet. And, of course, the story that you're going to hear right now. Now, this is Glenda Bonin with a story called Winston the Wide Mouth Frog. Now, when I say those words, the wide mouth frog, your eyes might light up with recognition. This is a story that a lot of people know. And you're going to enjoy Glenda Bonin's version of it. Winston the Wide Mouth Frog, here on the Appleseed. Here's a traditional American tale. 
Winston, the Wide Mouth Frog. Winston was a wide mouth frog. Winston's curiosity was as big as his mouth was wide. Whenever Winston had a question, he always asked his mother because his mother always found the answers to whatever question he had asked. If Winston wanted to know why the grass was green, his mother told him what she knew, or she would look for the answer in the library, in a book, or even on the Internet. Winston knew that he could always get his questions answered by his mother. One day, when Winston was eating his breakfast of dried flies, his favorite meal, he said to his mother, Mama, does everyone like to eat flies as much as I do? Winston's mother knew this was a big question to answer. And since she had a busy day ahead of her, she told him, Winston, this is a very big question. Every creature likes to eat different things. Since I'm going to be so busy today and you're getting big enough to get some information yourself, why don't you finish your breakfast and go out into the woods to find out on your own? Winston's mother then cautioned her son. Now, Winston, remember to stay in the neighborhood, mind your manners, and be sure to introduce yourself. Oh, yes, and don't forget to be home in time for lunch. Winston was so excited. Finding his own answers made him feel like a detective. He finished his bowl of flies and started off on his adventure. At first, when he looked around, he didn't see anyone. But then he spied a little bird right next to a bush. The bird was tugging on a worm in the ground. Winston went right over to that little bird and politely said, uh, Excuse me, Miss Bird. Uh, my name is Winston, and I am a wide mouth frog. Uh, I'm trying to find out what other critters like to eat. I love to eat flies. Do you like to eat flies? The little bird kept tugging at the worm, and Winston waited politely for his answer. Finally, the little bird let go of her worm, and she said to Winston, No, no, I, I don't like flies at all. I, I like seeds and worms, worms and seeds, uh, seeds and worms. And with that, the little bird grabbed her worm, and she flew off. Winston waved at Miss Bird and said, Well, thank you, Miss Bird. Thank you. Uh, worms. Ugh. Winston walked a bit further into the woods and came upon a big black bear. Why, hello, Mr. Bear. I'm Winston, and I'm a wide-mouthed frog. I like to eat flies. Do you like to eat flies, too? <laughs> well, no, Winston. Uh, I, I don't like flies at all, replied the bear. Well, they bother me, and, and, well, I would never eat them on purpose. <laughs> no, no, I like fish. Yeah, yummy fish. And I like to eat berries. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also like to eat honey. Honey is sweet, you know. Just talking about all that food makes me hungry. Then the bear pointed to a nearby bush. Well, looky over there. Blackberries, my favorite. Gotta go. Thank you, Mr. Bear, said Winston as he waved goodbye. And then to himself, Winston said, Wow, he must have to eat a lot of berries and fish and honey to get to be so big. Maybe he eats all the time. 
A few minutes later, as Winston came to a grove of trees, he spotted a beautiful deer. She didn't hear him coming since she had her head in a low bush and was munching on something. Winston went right up to the bush and cleared his throat. <coughs> Excuse me, Miss Deer. The deer stood her full height and looked down at Winston. Yes, what can I do for you, she said. Uh, good morning, Miss Deer. Uh, I'm Winston, and I'm a wide mouth frog, and I'm trying to find out what other critters like to eat. I love to eat flies. Do you like to eat flies, too? It's nice to meet you, Winston, replied the deer. I must say I would never go out of my way to eat a fly. They do not appeal to me at all. I graze. That is to say, I prefer to eat the leaves of bushes and trees, and if I cannot find green things to eat, I have been known to eat the bark of trees. Now, if you'll excuse me, you caught me in the middle of a meal. And with that, the deer moved on. Winston called out after her, uh, Thank you for the information, Miss Deer. Although Winston figured he had a lot to tell his mother, he still had some time before lunch, so he continued on, forgetting all about staying in the neighborhood. For quite a while, he didn't see anyone to talk to. Soon he came to a big lake. He stopped at the edge of the water and looked around. As he waited for someone to come by, a fly flew over his head. In one quick... Winston grabbed that fly with his long tongue and he had a snack while he was waiting. Just then, he thought he saw something out in the water. What he saw was like nothing he had ever seen before. It looked a bit like a, a floating log, but it had two big eyes, bumps on its back, and a long tail that moved back and forth. The creature looked Winston's way, and Winston waved at it. And that's when Winston saw that the creature had a great big mouth with lots of teeth. Winston was sorry he had waved, but now it was too late. The creature was swimming his way. Then the creature got to the edge of the water, and it walked out on four short stubby legs right toward Winston. Yeah, what do you want? said the creature. Um, <clears throat> said Winston as he took a step backwards. Ah, uh, uh, my name is Winston, and I'm trying to find out what other critters like to eat. I like to eat flies. Do you like flies? No said the creature. I don't bother with flies. They're too small to eat. Then the creature took another step toward Winston and then glared at him. I like to eat a lot of things, but mostly, mostly I like to eat wide mouth frogs. You seen any? Winston made his big wide mouth as small as he could, and he, he took a few steps backwards. Wide mouth frogs, you say? Oh, 
White mouth frogs. Well, that that's very interesting. Uh, oh, 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 I think I hear my mother calling me. Sorry, I, I can't stay and talk anymore. And with that, Winston got out of there in a hurry. When he got home, his mother asked Winston, Well, did you learn a lot this morning? Well, said Winston, uh, Yes, Mama, uh, I, I learned a lot of stuff. But mostly I learned that sometimes it's a good idea to keep your big, wide mouth shut. Glenda Bonin with Winston the Wide Mouth Frog. Now, she introduced that story as a traditional American tale. One of the things I love about that story is that I've heard versions of that story told as if it took place in other countries, other continents. And it's fun to hear about the animals that those storytellers put into the story when it takes place in, oh, I don't know, Brazil or Africa. You know, you hear about the Wide Mouth Frog in Australia and he's interacting with animals like capybaras, and you hear about the wide-mouthed frog in South America, and he's interacting with animals like jaguars, and I love to hear all the versions of those animal stories from different places. Stories travel, and they change as they travel to fit the people who tell them. You know, there's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. We're going to be back in a moment with a story from Dan Kedding called The Gypsy Wagon, a little something from Joel Ben Izzy, and a little treat from Colton Preet as well. I'm happy to be here with you. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in a minute. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Apple Sea. Before the break, you heard a version of the story of the wide mouth frog. In fact, that frog has a name, and the name is Winston, Glenda Bonin, telling you that tale. And before that, at the top of the hour, you heard a story called Suki, a story told by Lene Del Siemens and accompanied by the cellist Gideon Freudman. It's just one of a lot of different collaborations between those two. That story from a collection called Cello Tales. And in an episode of The Appleseed filled with stories about finding things and following a story about a wide-mouthed frog who finds just a little bit of wisdom, almost at the expense of his life, we're going to hear a story about memory, a story about finding and holding on to memories. This is the great uh, Chicago-area storyteller Dan Kedding with a story called The Gypsy Wagon. It's from a collection called The Gypsy Wagon and Other Neighborhood Tales. We had a great conversation with Dan Kedding that you can find in our archive, byuradio.org slash Appleseed. More than a thousand episodes there in that archive of the Appleseed for you to listen to anytime you like. You can take us with you on your mobile device. You can subscribe to the podcast for something new just about every day here on the show. But here's the gypsy wagon in which, well, Dan Kenning is able to describe and hold on to a childhood memory, a memory that shaped many of the ways that he looks at the world. Here's Dan Kedding on the Appleseed. When I was a boy growing up in Chicago, summer was a time of adventure. There were countless baseball games to be played, bicycles to be ridden in endless journeys down alleys, and movies to be watched in the cool, dark theaters. Those temples to Hollywood 
with uniformed ushers and live swans floating in reflection pools in the lobby. Summer was filled with books from the library, and Saturday morning with old Errol Flynn movies on TV. But one of my favorite times of the summer was Tuesday about 10 o'clock in the morning. It was then that my grandmother would buy me one pound of green grapes. I'd wash them at the spigot at the side of the house. Now any kid will tell you that the water that comes out there is colder and tastes better than the water in the kitchen. I would sit on the back steps and peel each grape one by one. Then I would eat the peels and then the grapes. The peels were sour, but the grapes were twice as sweet. A lot like life. But that wasn't the best part. Noni would buy the grapes from the gypsies. These men would come down the alleys and sell fruits and vegetables to all the mothers and grandmothers. They wore red silk bandanas on their heads, golden earrings, and they cut up the fruit for us to taste with long, sharp knives. They knew everyone's language. They spoke to my grandmother in Croatian, the lady across the alley in Italian, the woman down the block in Polish, and the lady on the corner in Yiddish. They knew every language in the world, or so it seemed. They told us kids stories as they weighed the produce, stories about brave warriors and beautiful princesses, putting each of our names in the story, always making each of us the hero. But that wasn't the best part. The best part was the horse. Their wagon was pulled by a horse. Now, living on the south side of Chicago meant we didn't see a lot of farm animals. And this was a real horse, a big old draft horse. She wore a straw hat on her head, holes cut out for the ears. Her feet were like platters, and she had a sway back. The gypsies told us that all great horses had backs like that. Once, when I was watching TV, I saw the Lone Ranger take off Silver's saddle and I yelled for Noni to come and see how deformed Silver looked with his straight back. All of us kids saved sugar cubes from restaurants and apples and bits of bread for that horse all week long. Many of the times my grandmother found food for the horse in my pants pocket, sometimes after she'd already washed them. We waited each Tuesday around ten at the top of the alley. Now the unwritten rule was that you could only be with the horse in your alley, on your block. And we all abided by that rule. We waited, and when they crossed the street to our block, she was all ours. The older kids got to hold the reins, and they smelled of saddle soap. The men would tell us how to get her to walk and how to make her stop, and it felt so wonderful, so magical, to be up on that wagon, driving the big horse from house to house. Sometimes the little kids got to ride on her back, and with her back the way it was, they could never really hurt themselves if they fell off. The drop wasn't that far to the ground. That horse was special, a link to the old ways that our families had left far behind, like the man who bicycled his way through the neighborhood, calling out for the people to bring him knives and scissors to sharpen, or the old Latin mass my grandmother went to each and every morning, or the stories the old ones told over coffee or over the back fence. The first Tuesday of one summer, one year, we're all waiting for the gypsies to come down the alley. But when they came into view, the horse was gone, and they were driving an old flatbed Ford truck.
We just stood there, disappointed, knowing that something very important had been taken away. I never went to see the gypsies after that. Noni still bought me my green grapes, and I still washed them at the side of the house, and I still peeled them one by one. But it was different. But sometimes, when the summer afternoons got lazy and warm, I'd daydream of an old sway-back mare with a straw hat and huge hoofs, grazing in a field, waiting for me. Maybe she's still waiting. I hope so. Dan Kedding with The Gypsy Wagon here on The Appleseed. Always a pleasure to bring you stories from great tellers, and sometimes we go far and wide to collect those stories. But for this next story, we had to go not much farther than our own neighborhood. This is Colton Preet. We made a practice for a little while of reaching out to just some of the people that we know, some of the people that we thought might have interesting stories to tell. We invited them to think about their own memories, write some of those memories down, and then come and record them in our studio. And this is a story that we've come to call Canadian Love. It's a story that proves that you'll find love, you'll find important people in places you never thought of before. Things that may seem insignificant may have a lasting impact. Colton Preet here with Canadian Love on the Appleseed. I am from Canada, and when I got home from my mission... I decided, I came up with this really good get-rich-quick scheme. Um, at that time, the Canadian dollar wasn't doing so well. It was, it was down pretty low compared to the Americans. So since I have an American citizenship, I thought, well, hey, I'll just go down and work for the summer in the States and make some money and flip it back to Canadian and make a lot of dough. So I called up a buddy of mine who, was, who I knew was, was putting together a sales team down in the States and practically begged him to let me come with him, not really realizing how sales worked. So he was definitely happy to have me. Um, and we started working, and a couple weeks in, I noticed there was this pretty cute girl working on one of the other teams. Um, as the summer went on another month or so, we had a, a mix-up happen in the teams, and a little reshuffling occurred, and I leaned over and grabbed the manager's arm and said, hey, you should uh, you should put me on, on that girl's team over there, make sure that we're together, and, and he winked at me, and, and he did. We ended up on the same team, and... We were living in Chicago at the time, and so I took her out on a date. We went to a Cubs game and dated kind of as we were doing our sales thing. It was kind of like a bachelor, bachelorette dating show thing because the company was taking us out on all these really fancy, fancy dates and, and fun events. So it was, it was really fun dating her. Um, as the summer kind of started getting to a close, I had a lot of thinking to do because it was going really well. At this point, I had been accepted to my top three choices for universities up in Canada. My, my dream school, I had it all set up. I had scholarships. I had my housing set up. I was going to live with friends. And the more I thought about it, it just, I, I don't really know why I did it, but I decided to just take a gamble. And so I, I sent a letter to my school saying, thank you, but no thank you. I'm going to pass. And with that, I moved down to Provo. Um, I worked for a semester, not knowing whether I'd be accepted to school in the winter or not. At this time, she was going to school up in Logan at Utah State. Um, and so if we wanted to keep dating, I would have to keep commuting back and forth between, between Logan. 
Um, before I made this big jump of coming down to America, I called her up one time and I said, hey, I'm going to come down to Utah. And I hope you know that the intentions here is not just to keep dating you. Um, there's a little bit more I have on my mind than just dating. And she said, OK, yep, that sounds good. And so that was the that was the affirmation that I needed with that. I OK, I can do this. I can do this. And I packed up my stuff and I, I moved down here. Um, we'd been dating a couple more months and I kind of started thinking, okay, well, it's time to start talking about marriage with her. And I brought it up and to my surprise, she was surprised. She said, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? What do you mean? And I, I kind of started panicking here. I said, okay, I thought we talked about this. Like I told you I was coming down with more than just dating on my mind. And, and I guess she interpreted that another way. And so all, all of a sudden I had a chase on my hands. I was trying to keep baiting her and keep all these other guys away because I, I realized I had some competition now. Um, and so we, we dated for a couple more months. I was pulling out all the moves that I could think of to use and eventually got to the point that I just decided to go for it. And I conveniently, I had been working at a jewelry shop making wedding rings, which, which really helped. And so I, I picked up a ring and went over and popped the question. And sure enough, she said yes. So it worked out. It, it was pretty scary when she said that she was on a little bit of a different page, but with some convincing and using some of my sales tactics, I guess you could say, um, she ended up saying yes. So that's probably one of the crazier things that I've done for love. <laughs> a little story that we call Canadian Love from Colton Preet. Colton Preet's not a professional storyteller, but again, we've made a practice from time to time of reaching out to just people in our neighborhood, people in our experience that we think might have great stories to tell and inviting them to write those stories down and in some cases come and deliver them behind the apple seed microphones. You can send us stuff too. We love it when you reach out to us at theappleseed at byu.edu. Send to that email address, your thoughts about the show, things you'd like to hear more of, things that the stories on the show remind you of, and of course, you can even send us stories of your own. Again, we'd love to hear from you. We're going to wrap up today with a story from Joel Ben Izzy. This is a story called Brian who loves watermelon. Ah, oh, eating watermelon during the summertime. It's pretty accessible stuff, but it feels so luxurious, that wonderful watermelon taste. And in this story by Joel Ben Izzy, he describes one of his friends named Brian and how he just loves watermelon. This kid is able to eat a whole giant watermelon by himself, which, of course, is a pretty impressive feat. Uh, his friends cheering him on as he enjoys every last bite. Here's the story from Joel Ben Izzy on the Appleseed. Hey, I heard about some of the foods you guys hated. But let's think about foods you guys love. I want you to think about foods that you really love. Yes, tell me what you love. Cucumber. Cucumber. Wait a minute, weren't you the same guy who wouldn't eat cucumber? No. Oh, must have been your evil twin brother. All right, you. Pizza, you love pizza, yes. What? You hate cucumber, so you hate cucumber, and he loves cucumber. Weird, yes. Sushi. Sushi, kid loves sushi, yes. Salad. Salad, salad? Really? My son, Elijah, is four years old. He won't go near anything green on principle. Yes, what do you like? My dad's homemade ice cream. Your dad's homemade ice cream, good answer. Yes, what do you like? 
Blackberry pie. Love blackberry pie. How about you? Smashed potatoes. Sounds good. Everybody has foods they like, and I want to ask how you guys feel about watermelon. All right. I happen to like watermelon a lot, but it's not so much me I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about my friend Brian, who loved watermelon. He absolutely loved watermelon. First, though, you got to understand about where I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs of LA, and where I grew up, the summers were hot. I mean, they were really hot. I mean, the days were painfully hot. I mean, they were so hot. How hot was it? Funny you should ask. The summers were very hot, as long as you're asking. They were so hot. You know how sometimes they say you can fry an egg on the sidewalk? Not in LA, not where I was, because by the time you went to open up the egg, it was already hard boiled, and it would bounce on the sidewalk. It was so hot that when the dogs chased the cats, they walked. It was that kind of hot. It was so hot that you had to turn on the heater to cool down. That's how hot it was where I was growing up on that side of LA. Not only hot, but boring. For fun, we used to watch the sidewalks crack. Sometimes we'd watch the grass grow slowly, and we used to watch the air conditioner. That was my favorite activity, turn on the air conditioner and watch it. And I hung out with my friend Brian. Brian's the one I want to tell you about, because Brian loved, loved, loved watermelon. He used to say, I just can't get enough watermelon. I could eat as much watermelon as I got. So it was, in our summers, we used to sit around with not much to do until about 3.30 in the afternoon, and then we'd hear this sound. And it would trail off like that. We knew that was Larry with his watermelon truck. The ice cream man did not make it to our part of town, but Larry had a watermelon truck. It was a truck, and he had a turntable. You, you guys know what a turntable is? It's before CDs, they used to have records on turntables, and we'd go around and around and around on top of his truck, and it would bounce up and down, and the music got kind of scratchy. But we didn't care. We grabbed the change, we went out running, and we bought watermelon. Because Larry would get a big watermelon, he'd slice it up, and he'd take those slices, and he would sell them to us for a quarter apiece. And they were good. He knew how to pick the best watermelons, and I would get sometimes three, four quarters, eat three, four big slices of watermelon. Brian would save up his money because Brian loved watermelon. I should say Brian was shaped a little bit like a watermelon. He, he would buy five, 10, 15 slices and eat it all. So it was one day at the end of summer, we were sitting around blistering, blistering hot day. We heard that sound. like so, and the truck pulled by. And we all ran out, we got our chain. It was a hot day, we were ready for some watermelon. And we all ran up there and there was no watermelon. There was a truck, a big old flatbed truck. Larry got out, we said, Larry, where's the watermelon? And he said, kids, today I got something special for you. We said, what, watermelon? He said, special watermelon. We said, what? He went around the back of his truck where people keep tools in the back of their truck. He opened that up and there inside that box was a huge watermelon. I mean, it was, it was monstrous. It was bigger than any watermelon we had ever seen. It was as long as the truck was wide. 
It started here, it got bigger in the middle, so that in the middle it was just as wide as a normal watermelon is long. And it went down all the way over to here. That was a vast watermelon. He said, kids, look closely. This is the biggest watermelon I have ever seen, and it's great. He did the thump test. And it was a good watermelon. It made that perfect watermelon sound. He said, now, I could cut this watermelon up, sell it to you kids for a quarter a slice. I'd get 25 bucks. But I wanted to make you guys an offer. Because you guys have been so good, you've been my best customers buying watermelon all summer long. I want to make you guys an offer. I'm going to give this watermelon to one of you. One of you. But only to one of you who can eat the whole thing at once. We laughed because nobody could eat that watermelon at once. Nobody could eat that whole thing in one sitting. It was just too big. But Brian, he was looking back there and he was nodding. He was going, yeah, watermelon. And everybody in the crowd looked at Brian. And Larry looked at Brian and said, Brian, you think you can do it? Brian said, let me look at it. Brian walked right up, climbed up on the truck, thumped that watermelon and looked at it. Seemed to be measuring it off, thinking about it. Larry said, I'll tell you what, Brian, you eat the whole thing in one sitting, it's yours free. Otherwise, you have to pay for it, $25. Brian looked at that watermelon a good long time. And then he said, could I have one hour to think about this? Larry said, sure. Brian, go ahead. Brian ran off, and he said to all us kids, he said, hey, you kids, go get your friends. This is going to be good. So we all went, we all got our friends. Everybody gathered there in the parking lot around the truck, and Brian returned, and he said, I'll do it. The crowd cheered. <laughs> Brian sat down in the truck with a big piece of watermelon. Larry said, should I cut it into slices? Brian said, nope, just four big sections. Four huge sections Brian started to eat. And when Brian started to eat watermelon, it was like a hurricane. <laughs> Slobbering down. Watermelon all over his face. Watermelon in his hair. Watermelon running down his back. Watermelon in his shoes. I don't know how he did that. He ate all the way through and we got that first section. He turned towards the trash can a few feet away and went, spit the seeds out. The crowd jeered. And Brian was back for more, and he was working on that second one. He was gaining speed, even eating faster and faster. We could see the watermelon again in his face, all over his eyes, and bulging out cheeks filled with seeds. Finished and... By now, the crowd was going wild. We'd never seen anybody eating watermelon like this. He was going through the third one and still picking up speed. Turned to that trash can and... the fourth one he was eating faster and faster and then he started to slow down and he was chomping away at the watermelon and he got three quarters of the way through that last piece of watermelon and he was going slower and slower and the crowd was waiting for him and finally all that he had left to eat was one piece like a normal person could eat and he stopped, he looked up, and he said, I love watermelon! He ate the rest of the watermelon. He went wild. The crowd cheered. <laughs> and even Larry had to admit it was the most incredible feat of watermelon eating he'd ever seen. He said, Brian, I didn't think you could do it. I didn't think anyone could do it. That was incredible. But Brian, I got to ask you a question. When I asked you if you could do this, you said you needed an hour to think about it. 
What did you think about during that hour? Brian said, well, I didn't, I didn't think exactly. I did a test. What was it? What did you do? Well, you see, tomorrow is my birthday. And when my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday, I said I wanted a big, big watermelon. Uh-huh. So what happened? Well, she bought me that watermelon, and it was at home on the kitchen table, and it was almost as big as this one. So I went home, and I ate that one to see if I could do it. <laughs> and when I found I could do it, I came back to eat this one. And that's the story of my friend Brian, who used to love watermelon. Now that you heard that story, I, I got to ask you guys a favor, and here it is. If you should happen to meet my friend Brian, please don't mention this story to him, okay? Why not? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Brian hates watermelon. Brian can't stand watermelon. It's, it's a sad thing. Brian will not go by a store selling watermelon. He will turn and walk the other way. If he walks into a restaurant and there's watermelon on the menu, he will get up and leave. In fact, even using the words water and melon in the same sentence gets him. Somebody says, oh, I'm going to go water the melons. He turns kind of pale and leaves. Even if they're talking about cantaloupes or honeydew or something, that's because of something Brian did when we were in sixth grade. In sixth grade, it was the end of year picnic. Now, my teacher then was Mr. Bircher, who I thought was a great teacher. I did very well in his class. Brian didn't do well. He failed math. He failed math because he never did his homework. Mr. Bircher liked Brian, but had to fail him in math. That's the way it went. So it was at the end of year picnic. We were sitting around, and Mr. Bircher was walking by. Brian and I were sitting eating watermelon. And Mr. Bircher said, hey, Brian, have a good summer. And by the way, don't put watermelon seeds up your nose. It was as simple as that, just a comment. Brian just because he was mad at Mr. Bircher, took that watermelon seed right in his hand and went Doop! right up his nose. I said, Brian, why'd you do that? He just said not to stick watermelon seeds up his nose. Who cares about him? He gave me an F in math. I didn't think anything of it. We went on the summer. I wouldn't have thought of it again, except that next spring, following year, Brian began to get sick a lot. I mean, you know how it is. You have times at school, sometimes you get sick a lot. He had a lot of colds. He seemed to have sinus infections, headaches, and he was always being sent home for one thing or another. He was just not doing well. We thought it was allergies or something. And I used to bring his homework to him and try to help him figure it out and, and work on it. But most of the time, he was in bed, and he looked awful. And I looked at Brian. I said, Brian, you look terrible. He said, I feel horrible. My head feels like it's pounding. And one day, I went uh, to bring him his homework, and he was lying in bed sick. And I noticed that in his ear there was a little leaf. I said, Brian, there's something in your ear. And he just he yanked it out. He said, oh, that's nothing. I didn't think much about it, but the next day I saw another leaf in his ear. And I said, Brian, you got another leaf in your ear. He said, oh, it's, it's, I'm sure it's nothing. Brian went to the doctor. And what he found out was that that watermelon seed had taken root in his head. It had started to grow. And it was coming out that ear. I said, God, can they, can they remove it? He said, no, it's worse. They have to let it grow. Because if they remove it, they won't get all of it, and it'll just come back. I have to let it grow. I said, how long? He said, till the end of summer. 
And it was a horrible time for Brian. He had this vine coming out of his ear, and it was growing longer and longer. And it got all the way into his shirt, and he managed to get it into his shirt looking pretty inconspicuous. But then it came out where his hand was, and he had to let it keep on growing. He was able to walk around now outside and go out and play ball and stuff. But here he was with this watermelon vine. He kept it hidden in his hand. One day, I saw him holding a flower. I said, oh, that's nice, Brian. You got a, you got a flower. Someone gave you that so you'll feel better? He said, no. And as I stood there, a little bee flew up, flew into the flower, and flew out. And I said, is that a watermelon blossom? He said, uh-huh. A week later, I looked, and there he was holding something that looked like a little green marble. I said, what's that? He said, it's my watermelon. I said, cool, you got your own watermelon. He said, it's not cool, it's horrible. Now, by now, Brian was feeling even worse. He was, the headaches were still going on, but he was thirsty all the time. He'd sit with a big pitcher of iced tea, just drinking and drinking it. And this little marble grew about to the size of a golf ball. From there, it grew about to the size of a baseball. And he actually painted it like a baseball with red and white stripes on it. So he was able to go out with her friends and hang out, look like he was just holding a baseball, put on his glove. That was okay. Then it grew to the size of a softball. That was okay, too. Same glove. Grew to the size of a basketball. That watermelon in his hand grew to the size of a beach ball. He had to take that thing with him everywhere he went. He got a shopping cart just to carry that around. I said, Brian, how long do you have to have that watermelon? He said, till the plant dies. He waited till the end of summer. One day I saw Brian there walking his watermelon around. And I looked and the plant was looking a bit brown. I said, what's happening? He said, I think it's dying. I'm going to the doctor. I said, yeah. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Brian, plant is dead, and the doctor pulled it out, and he said, Brian, you get to keep the watermelon. Brian said, watermelon? I don't want to see another watermelon ever again. I cannot stand watermelon. He gave that watermelon to Larry, and since that day, Brian has not eaten another bite of watermelon, won't go near it, cannot stand it. So that's the story of my friend Brian, who used to love watermelon. And the moral of that story is, whatever you do, do not stick watermelon seeds up your nose. Pretty good advice from Joel Ben Izzy. Never stick watermelon seeds up your nose, right? Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you this hour with stories from Joel Ben Izzy, from Colton Preet, from Dan Kedding, from Glenda Bonin, and Lindy Del Siemens, and the cello stylings of her accompanist Gideon Freudman in one of those cello storyteller collaborations from the album Cello Tales. There's a lot more coming up next time on the Appleseed. In the meantime, find Find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. You'll find an archive with more than a thousand episodes in it. You can take them with you on your mobile device. You can Google the Appleseed podcast and uh, find something new just about every day here on the Appleseed. We invite you to subscribe to that podcast. We're so grateful and happy to have you as part of our family of listeners. You can also like us on Facebook. There's stuff to see and do there. And, of course, you can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter and uh, be part of our social media family as well. Uh, today's episode was produced with help from Ashley Zollinger. The producer of The Appleseed is Jeff Simpson. Our audio engineer is Stuart Foster. I'm Sam Payne, and we'll see you next time.
Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Sam Payne. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed. We hope you enjoyed today's stories. If you're new to the show, know that we'll bring you another helping of tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and personal tales and historical tales and more to the air on the very next episode of The Appleseed. We're here just about every day. We've been doing it since 2013, and we hope to be doing it for many, many years to come. The whole Appleseed family is dedicated to that. Now, if you like The Appleseed, you'll enjoy some of the other programs produced Produced by BYU Radio, talking about shows like The Lisa Show and Top of Mind and Constant Wonder. And we're also talking about adventure podcasts like Treasure Island 2020, the time-traveling, swashbuckling pirate adventure in ten parts. That's a retelling of the classic Robert Louis Stevenson novel. There's stuff like that at BYURadio.org or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Sam Payne. Join us again on The Appleseed, won't you? We'll see you then.